My dad said it often growing up. He would say, if your mom packs her bags, I'm packing mine too. And we would laugh, but underneath that that phrase is a very important biblical idea. It's the idea we're going to explore and talk about as we begin this morning a four-part series on marriage. The title is Four Words for Your Marriage. There's a lot of different directions I wanted to go with this and a lot of thoughts I had and scriptures I wanted to share. And I was able to condense those ideas into four words. If you'll grasp these four words over these four weeks together, I believe that you and I can have happier, healthier, and holier marriages, which is the goal. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to start at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. I want to give you, before we read, the first word for your marriage. And the word is covenant. Covenant. If we're going to understand what biblical marriage is all about, we've got to understand the idea of covenant. And we'll see this very clearly in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 2. So if you find your place there, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, which is truth with no mixture of error. As many of you may know, My wife and I were out last week along with Travis and his wife. We were traveling with John and Sarah Perkins in Western Europe, specifically in Belgium. We were able to go on a mission trip and work with some families that are living there in that nation and had a wonderful time uh, doing ministry and and serving, and uh, we're thrilled to be back. It was a great trip, so we thank you for your prayers. We thank you for um, sending us. You say, how do you... how do Wade and Claire get to leave when they have four kids? How does that work out? Well, the answer is good in-laws. Amen. So our kids got to spend some time with Papa and Nana this week, and we're so grateful um, for them. But it was a great trip. And here's something neat about last Sunday, where you were here worshiping in Hernando. We were worshiping with a gathering of five congregations in that area, evangelical churches that got together, and they were together to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And so it was really cool to be in Europe where the Reformation started uh, with these five congregations worshiping the Lord. We didn't understand a word of what they were saying. They were worshiping in French, uh, but they were singing songs, and they had four different preachers. So count your blessings, amen. Uh, Next time you want to call me long-winded, just remember. uh, It could be longer. We were there for about three hours. Uh, But we had a great time worshiping with those believers there and celebrating the Reformation. You know that October 31st is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, usually uh, based upon when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the the Castle of Wittenberg. Uh, And so just remember that. If you want to do some reading about that, you can Google a Protestant Reformation or Reformation and probably find some good articles or email me. I'll send you some good information about that. But it was the uh, reclaiming of the biblical idea Uh, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. It was a major moment in church history and one we should be grateful for. It was a work of God uh, that he brought that about. And so we'll celebrate that 
uh, on Tuesday. But it was really cool to celebrate that with brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the world. So I thought I'd share with you that insight. Look with me uh, at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The Bible says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are grateful, Lord, for this opportunity to gather as a faith family and fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And I pray that you would draw near to us by your Spirit this morning as we study your Word. Help us to understand what biblical marriage is all about. And I pray, Lord, that you would instruct us and that you would encourage us and that you would give us this morning the gift of hope when it comes to our marriages. And we'll thank you and praise you, Lord, for that grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just by way of orientation, as we go through this marriage series, uh, Claire goes to the 11 o'clock service. So in the 930 service, I'm able to thunder about how good of a husband I am. Um, The 11 o'clock version, I'm more humble. So if you want the more humble way, keep coming at 11, all right? Because she's in here. She hears what I'm saying. All right. But we want to talk about covenant this morning. And it's found right here in Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 24. Genesis 2 gives us the foundations, the fundamentals of marriage. I've read that Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers, when he gathered his team together for the first practice of a new season, he would get his entire team together. He would hold up a football and say, Gentlemen, this is a football. And he would begin to explain the basic fundamentals of the game to these professionals. As if to say, if you don't have the fundamentals right, you won't get the rest right. And if we don't understand the fundamentals of marriage found here in Genesis, it's going to be hard for us to have happy, healthy, holy marriages. And so right here in Genesis 2.24, we see this idea of a man uh, leaving his father and his mother and holding fast or cleaving to his wife. Right here in this verse is the biblical idea of covenant. Now, keep that in mind, I want to discuss this idea of covenant under four different headings. And first of all, I want you to see the significance of a covenant. What's the big deal about this word covenant? What's the big deal, a big idea of this idea of covenant? Well, it's found there in Genesis 2.24 when it says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife. Now we see some fundamentals there, don't we? We see that marriage is between one man and one woman. That's disputed hotly in our culture today, but God's word is very clear. Marriage, biblical marriage, is... A marriage, a, a, a relationship between, a covenant relationship between one man and one woman till death alone should part them. And it says that this man leaves his father and his mother. He transitions uh, his primary uh, relationship from mom and dad to his spouse, to his wife. And it says he holds fast to his wife as they become one flesh. And that word hold fast or cleave in the Hebrew literally means to be glued to something to be glued to something. And so marriage is this gluing of of two people together, a husband and a wife uh, together. It's the sentiment behind the statement my dad made, that if your mom packs her bags, I'm packing mine too. I'm, I'm glued to her. That's the idea of that biblical word. And this idea of holding fast or cleaving to someone 
speaks of the faithfulness uh, of a person. In fact, this word is used of Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18 when it says, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. That phrase, held fast, is the same word used here in Genesis 2.24. He cleaved, he clung to the Lord, he held fast to the Lord, he was glued to the Lord. It says, he did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. So when it says that Hezekiah clung to the Lord or held fast to the Lord, it means that Hezekiah was faithful to the Lord. So this word back in Genesis 2.24, speaking of a husband cleaving to his wife, means a husband will be faithful to his wife. The idea of complete faithfulness between a husband and wife helps us to understand why the Bible calls marriage a covenant. Make no mistake about it, the Bible uses the word covenant to refer to marriage. For example, over in Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, This second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? In other words, the people sensed there was a distance between them and God. The people sensed that they were far from God, and they wanted to know why. God, why are you not drawing close to your people? And God gives them the answer. In Malachi 2, he writes, But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. In other words, the reason they felt so distant from God is because they were not faithful to their marriage covenant. They had violated their marriage covenants by and large. And God's saying, you want to have this relationship with me when you are not tending to the relationship that you should be focusing on with your spouse. And so this idea of covenant permeates this passage. Over in Proverbs 2, 16 and 17, the Bible says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So it speaks of a woman who is unfaithful to her marriage. And it says here that this woman has forgotten that her marriage is a covenant before the Lord. Now, keeping that in mind, what in the world is a covenant? This, this term is used of marriage. What is a covenant? Well, J.I. Packer writes, a covenant is when two parties permanently are pledged to each other in mutual service and dependence. Notice that word permanently. Permanently pledged to each other in mutual service and dependence. S.B. Cowan writes that a covenant is an oath-bound promise whereby one party solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specified way. Notice that phrase, oath-bound promise, solemn pledge. Those are ideas related to a covenant. And to really drive this idea of covenant home, I want to give you a statement. And if you hear nothing else I say this morning, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You ready? A covenant is not a contract. A covenant is not a contract, which means that if your marriage is a covenant, then your marriage is not a contract. That's not how God designed it. Now, you know what a contract is. A contract is an agreement between two parties arranging an exchange of goods or services. One party agrees to provide something for the other in exchange for something else. You live your life by by contracts. Think about your cell phone contract, right? 
When you hit that little agree button, you know all the stuff you've agreed to? I don't. You, you don't either. But you've entered into a contract, right? That, that your cell phone provider is providing you with cellular service and you're paying your money. And as long as you pay your money, you get the service, right? That, that is a contract. A mortgage is, is a contract. So you have the, the means to purchase a home. We understand contracts well. And here's the problem in our society. People have begun to look at marriage not as a covenant between two people, but as a contract between two people. And the results have been devastating. Thus the rise of prenuptial agreements. You're familiar with this idea that, okay, we're going to get married. We love each other. I found my soulmate. But just in case they're not, we're going to have a contract that we sign. And if things don't go the way I think they ought to go, then I've got a way out. Prenuptial agreement. It's a contract. Biblical marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Let me explain to you the difference. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract, because it is not a business transaction. It is a relationship. Your marriage is not a business transaction. Your marriage is a relationship with another person, right? There's a big difference there. I mean, when it comes to to contracts, we get that. For example, how many of you have had cable service or satellite service that you didn't find sufficient? You didn't like how much they were charging you, or you didn't like their customer service, so you changed your provider. Raise your hand if you ever done that. Yeah, a lot of us. We, we change our cable provider, change our satellite provider, or whatever the case may be, because we don't like how they're fulfilling their end of the contract. It's, it's an exchange of goods and services. That's not marriage. Marriage is a relationship with a person, Right? It's a big difference. And so it's, it's a covenant, not a contract. It's because it's a relationship. Secondly, marriage is a covenant, not a contract, because it has a vertical and horizontal dimension. So when Claire and I were married, I made some vows to her. She made some vows to me. That's horizontal. We made some, some promises, some solemn pledges to one another, but... We did this in the sight of witnesses and ultimately in the sight of Almighty God. So while our, our pledges were done to each other horizontally, there was a vertical dimension because we were making those promises in the presence of God himself, which adds a degree of gravity, correct? It's, it's, a, it's a covenant, not a contract, because of this horizontal and this vertical dimension. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract, because it's meant to last regardless of changes. That's why we hear language like this in the marriage vows. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness as in health. In other words, we're saying we understand that there there are going to be some difficult times. But our marriage is is a covenant, not a contract. It's meant to last even through those difficult times. Now, what if we use contract language in our marriage vows? What if Claire said to me, as long as you mow the grass, I'll be faithful. Or I said to Claire, as long as I come home to a hot meal, I'll be faithful, right? That, that, that'd be, people would be taking back their wedding gifts, wouldn't they? It's not going to last very long, Right? That's contract language. But, but marriage is a, is a covenant between two people. Tim Keller writes this, Wedding vows are not, listen, are not a declaration of present love, but a mutually binding promise of future love. A wedding should not be primarily a celebration of how loving you feel. Uh, that can be safely assumed. 
Rather, in a wedding, you stand up before God, your family, and all the main institutions of society, and you promise to be loving, faithful, and true to the other person in the future, regardless of undulating internal feelings or external circumstances. So marriage is a covenant, not a contract, because it's meant to last regardless of changes. And finally, marriage is a covenant, not a contract, because it is modeled on Christ's love for the church. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, which we'll spend some more time in Ephesians 5 through the series. But in Ephesians 5 verse 25, the Bible says that husbands are called to love their wives just as Christ loves the church. That's not real easy, is it, men? To love our wives like Jesus loves, which is perfect, unconditional love. And we're to begin to to pursue that kind of love for our spouse. It's not easy. Need God's help to do that. That's how we're called to love. In other words, we see in that verse that the marriage relationship is a picture of the gospel. It's meant to remind a watching world by us loving one another that Christ loves his church. It's meant to, your your marriage is meant to preach the good news. It's meant to show people just a a faint glimpse of how great Christ's love is. That's why marriage is such a big deal in God's eyes. Because it is a picture of the gospel, a, a picture of the good news. And so, if our marriage is a picture of the good news, it has to be a covenant, not a contract. Because your salvation is not contractual. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the Lord didn't say, hey, you're saved, you're forgiven, you're going to heaven as long as you do right? We'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? No, God enters into a relationship with us based upon covenant. He promises to forgive us and save us. And he says, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can rest in the covenant we have with God. So if our salvation is a covenant based upon God's unfailing promises, then marriage can't be a contract because marriage pictures the gospel. Got that? It's a covenant. And so this idea of of covenant is so important to understanding marriage. It is a fundamental part of what it means to be married. So we've thought together about the significance of a covenant. It has... Great meaning in God's word and great meaning when applied to our marriages. But secondly, I want to talk to you about the security of a covenant. God has ordained this covenant relationship to provide security for you and for your spouse. Now, how's that work? First of all, a covenant provides security for intimacy. Security for intimacy. Over in Genesis 2.24, it says, for this reason, a Man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, cleave to his wife. Uh, and, and the two became one flesh, it says. And then in the next verse it says that Adam and Eve, the, the first marriage, Adam and Eve were naked and were not ashamed. You see the covenant, then you see the intimacy between Adam and Eve. That's how God designed it. God gave us intimacy as a gift to be enjoyed in the loving boundaries of covenant marriage. And if we try to pursue those gifts outside of those boundaries, 
That vulnerability, that intimacy with another person will destroy us and cause great harm. It's like the illustration that we've heard before about a fireplace. If you have a fireplace in your home, you know it's a blessing to have a fireplace. And you have logs in the fireplace. And when that fire is in the fireplace, it lights up the room and it gives warmth to the house. Fire is a wonderful thing in the fireplace. I remember one time growing up, we had a fireplace, and, and uh, it was a, a cool North Florida night. It's cold as it can get in North Florida. And, uh, and we had the fireplace going, and, and something happened, and, and one of the logs rolled out into, uh, onto the carpet. It was on fire, and Dad grabbed it and threw it back in there, and it singed the carpet. Why did he throw it back in the fireplace? Because Dad understands what we all understand, that if fire gets outside the fireplace, it'll burn the house down. Right? And if intimacy happens outside of the boundaries of covenant relationship, it will cause great damage. That's not how God designed it. He designed intimacy to be enjoyed. It's God's idea. He, enjoyed it, he designed it to be enjoyed in the loving boundaries of covenant marriage. Now, this is a big deal today because of what's happening with technology and our young people. Sending pictures and text messages and engaging in behavior that is the utmost of vulnerability without a covenant. And it never works out. Listen to me, uh, young person. You were not designed to be vulnerable with another person that's not your spouse. He designed it to happen in intimacy, to happen in covenant marriage. And that kind of vulnerability outside of marriage will harm you. It will. The Bible is very, very clear on that. And that's not, listen, that's not God trying to take away your fun. That's that's God trying to maximize your joy. Because when you enjoy intimacy in the boundaries of covenant relationship, it's wonderful. But when you try to enjoy the outside of that covenant relationship, it will harm you. And so a covenant provides security for intimacy, just like it did for Adam and Eve. A covenant also provides security when you're not at your best. When you're not at your best. Look with me over in Mark chapter 10 very quickly. Jesus speaks about the idea of marriage covenant. Mark chapter 10, verse 3. Actually, verse 2, it says, Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying that this idea of certificate of divorce is not God's original intention for marriage. He designed marriage to last until death alone should part a couple. And here was the deal. Here's what they were talking about in the Jewish culture. They, they took this certificate of divorce to ridiculous lengths. And it made it possible for a Jewish man to divorce his wife for any reason. If she burned dinner, she's out of here. And it was running rampant. And Jesus is saying... 
That's not what God intended. Go back to Genesis, Jesus is saying. Go back to the fundamentals and you'll see what God intended with marriage. One man, one woman cleaving to each other, giving each other security, even when their spouse is not at their best. Now, you understand, don't you, that when you got married, you married a sinner? And you understand, don't you, that that person married a sinner too? Right? And we're going to have bad days. Amen? There there are going to be times when we're not at our best. And when that happens, we need that security that comes from covenant. To say, hey, I know you had a bad day. know you had a bad week. I know it's tough right now. But we have a covenant. I'm not going anywhere. You have the security to stumble and fall in this relationship because of the covenant. So covenant provides security when you're not at your best. A covenant provides security for growth. It says in Mark 10, verse 7, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. His job is to cleave to his wife. His, his job is to stay faithful until death alone should part them. And that's going to take some time. And, and in that time of cleaving to his wife, that man's going to have the need to grow. And the, the wife's going to need to grow too. You know, in Jesus, listen to me, in Jesus, I'm not who I used to be, praise the Lord, but I'm not where I need to be yet. God's still working on me. How about you? God's still working on me. And God's still working on your spouse. And covenant provides a security to give your spouse the space to be changed by Almighty God. Hey, while you're changing, while God's working, He's working on you, He's working on me, we're in covenant. We're going to be faithful to each other even as we go through this process of growth. And then a covenant provides security against the test of marriage. Uh, Jesus says this in Mark 10 verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. When you enter into a covenant, don't let anything or anyone pull you apart. A covenant is intended by God to provide security against the tests of marriage. And the tests are many, and they will come, right? Hardship, financial challenges. Relational difficulties, the past rearing its ugly head, whatever. Tests are going to come. And covenant says, even when the winds blow, even when the storm rages, we are one. That's how God designed it. Now, any organization that has a network, a computer system, has a firewall. A firewall is simply a network security system. And the the idea of firewall is to protect the information uh, from outsiders who would want to get hold of that information and use it for wrong purposes. And so any organization that has that information has that firewall to protect it from intruders. A covenant is intended by God to be a firewall for your marriage. That's what it is. God put it there to protect your marriage from all that will come against it. 
So we see here the significance of a covenant and the security of a covenant. But third, we see the, the strength for a covenant. You say, wait, this is, it's not easy. Marriage isn't easy. Well, listen to what it says over in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. I've already referenced that passage once. But there's a really wonderful phrase in here. Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. When God's speaking of the idea of covenant and speaking against their infidelity to their covenant relationships, he says, Did he not make them one, man and woman, made them one, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? In other words, when God brings two people together, a man and a woman, as husband and wife, he infuses that relationship with the power of the Holy Spirit of God because one man and one woman can't live out covenant in their own strength. They need some help, amen? We all need help. And God gives us the Spirit to help us. He gives us the Spirit of God to help us to stay faithful to the marriage covenant. Listen to me. If you are Christ's followers, you are not in this thing alone. The Spirit of God is there to help and to heal and to empower. I read recently in my own personal Bible reading in the book of Ecclesiastes, an interesting passage that speaks of the value of companionship. There's a verse that says, A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now you can apply that to your marriage. Say, three strands is just me and my spouse. No, no, no. In Christ, your marriage is you, your spouse, and the Lord who weaves your hearts and knits your hearts together. And if you, listen to me, if you will allow the Lord Jesus Christ to have his way in your life and in your marriage, he will knit your marriage together and that that strand of three cords will not be easily broken. It will stand the test of time and the test of marriage. God has given you the Spirit as a gift to help you to have strength to live out the ideals of covenant. Which leads to the fourth heading of covenant. We've seen the significance, the security, the strength, and finally the satisfaction of a covenant. Over in Proverbs 5, verse 18, the Bible says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And then after another phrase, which is a phrase for married people, so I'm going to say, I'm going to read it out loud. You're saying, what does it say? You're going to turn there right now and read it, aren't you? But after that next phrase, which is a a married people phrase, it says, Be intoxicated always in her love. Be intoxicated always in her love. In other words, if you're married, find your joy in your spouse. Don't look elsewhere. Even the spouse of your youth. And always, even after decades, always find your joy in her love. Be intoxicated with her love, not someone else. The idea there is marriage that lasts. And as your marriage lasts, you find this joy in the spouse of your youth. 
There is a satisfying, listen to me, there's a satisfying joy in a covenant relationship. You understand, don't you, that there's a certain kind of joy that only the passing of time will provide. Let me illustrate. You can walk in your kitchen, say, I'm hungry. You get a hot dog out of the refrigerator, you pop it in the microwave for a few seconds, take it out, put it on a bun, and eat it, and you've had your hot dog. That's good. Or, what if you decided to slow cook some ribs? Yeah. They've cooked for hours. You take them off the smoker, and the meat's just tender and falling off the bone. And you get your favorite barbecue sauce. Can I get a witness? You get your, you get your, you get your favorite barbecue sauce, and you eat those ribs. There's a joy in waiting for those ribs that a hot dog can't give. Amen? There's a joy that comes from the passing of time, enjoying something that took a while. And that's the idea of covenant. There's a joy in being married to someone for a long time. A joy that nothing in this world can duplicate. And don't don't take my word for it. It's in the Bible. We're to rejoice in the wife of our youth, be intoxicated always in her love, decades in her love. Don't take my word for it. We've got numerous, numerous couples right here in the life of our church that have been married 50 plus years. I mean, just ask uh, Stephen Claudine Parker if it was worth it to stay married for that long. Ask uh, Carl and Mickey Weiss or Bob and Phyllis Wolf or Melvin and Lil Voiles. Or, we have so many in our church that have been married 50 plus years. What a resource they are to our church, amen? To us younger couples that say, hey, it can be done and it's good. It's satisfying to live out covenant. I had a uh, precious widow and our church came up to me after the first service. She said, you're about 20 years too late for me. Been a widow for 20 years. And I said, yeah, but you can amen it, can't you? She said, amen. What you said was true. Amen. It's good to be married to someone for a long period of time. As a matter of fact, she said, I was texting all my married friends, saying, you need to be at church today. <laughs> There's a satisfying joy in a covenant relationship. It's good. It's good. It's, it's worth it. Satisfaction of a covenant. So, what's the point of this sermon? This is the first word. We've got three other words I'm going to give you over the next few weeks. We're going to have some fun together, so make sure you're here. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a positive, encouraging time. That's what we're asking God to do. But here's the point of this sermon on covenant. Our marriages will be happier, healthier, and holier when we remember they are covenant relationships. Let me say it again. Our marriages will be happier, healthier, and holier when we remember they are covenant relationships. Now, let me just address it. You say, what does that mean for me? Maybe you're here and you're married. And uh, God has just moved you uh, from his truth, from his word. And, and you want to live this out. Remember, you can't do it in your own strength and wisdom. You need God's help, and God has given you His Spirit to help you. So, so maybe your response needs to be, Lord, help! Help me to live out the ideals of covenant. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. I mean, it's in, it's in jeopardy. Things are tough. Your, your marriage is being tested. 
ask God to drive home this idea of covenant in your life and in the life of your spouse. Remember, there is satisfaction in the long haul. Hey, can I tell you this? Marriage is a good idea because it's God's idea. I didn't invent marriage. God did that. Way back in Genesis chapter 2, it's God's idea. So if God did it, it's good, right? It's good. You are, listen, you are listening to a marriage proponent. I think marriage is a wonderful thing when two people who love Jesus get together. It's wonderful. So don't give up if your marriage is struggling. I'm asking God to give you hope through this series. Let you know He's there to help and to heal. Maybe you're here and you look back over your life and say, wait, I've blown it when it comes to this idea of covenant. And I've got some failures in my past that I'm, I'm just not real proud of or they're still affecting me today. What do you got to say to me, preacher? One word, you ready? Grace. Listen to me. You can't go back and change your past. If you could, you'd probably be trying to do it right now, but you can't. But you can take that brokenness to the foot of the cross and experience His healing and His cleansing and His forgiveness. And then, by the Spirit of God, you can draw a line in the sand and say, from this point forward, I'm going to do it God's way. By His grace, For His glory, I'm going to do it God's way. Experience the victory and the healing that comes from that. If you've got marriage failure in your past, my intention is not to make you feel bad about that. As we speak about marriage, we've got to do it with compassion, but also with truth. We say, hey, no, no one perfect in this room, amen? We all need grace. But God does speak about marriage. And He wants us to pursue covenant marriage. So if you're here and you're hurting about your past, just know that there's grace in Jesus. Amen? There's grace in Jesus. And ask Him to help you to move forward with strength and in His way. So whatever God's doing in your heart and life, we're going to have a time to respond in just a moment. It's a time for you to pray, pray for somebody else. Maybe you're single and you say, I'm not even married yet. Well, uh, you may be one day. And, And these principles are going to be important. And listen to me, you need to settle these principles on the front end of marriage. Don't think it's going to work, yourself, work itself out when you get married to somebody. You need to have it set on the front end. Marriage is not a prenuptial contract. It's a covenant, right? So if you're single and you may be married in the future, settle it now. Settle it now. When I get married, God gives me the opportunity. It's going to be a covenant. Whatever God's doing, now is your opportunity to respond. So would you bow your heads and close?